So we're in Micah chapter 6, verse 9 to 16, and we're reflecting on, to begin with, verses 9 to 12. I guess just to recap for us, what's happening in Micah is social injustice. Earlier on in the book, in chapter 2, the Lord has been saying, Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. At morning's light they carry it out because it is in in their power to do it. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance. That's chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And there's a continuation of that theme here. And what the Lord puts his finger on specifically is... I think integrity or righteousness, justice, equity, fairness, perhaps those are words that capture the idea. You see it here where he says, look in verse 10, am I still to forget your ill-gotten treasures, you wicked house, and the short ephah, so again this is a, um, a measurement which is not... Um, being used uh, measuring things out unfairly Um, and then in verse 11 shall I acquit someone with dishonest scales it's a similar theme with a bag of false weights and then in verse 12 there's a focus on speech in particular but the issue is the same Uh, that your inhabitants are liars So what comes out of mouths is crooked and their tongues speak deceitfully. And so our first reflection, we're going to just take a couple of minutes in the quiet of our hearts to reflect on this word of indictment that the Lord has to the Israelites at that time, that was what he, that was, what he was upset with them about. But as um, John Perkins told us a couple of weeks ago, um, that Israel is like a microcosm of the world. And so we are invited to reflection on our own lives um, through these words and to reflect specifically on this question of straightness, fairness in our dealings and likewise with our speech. So let's take a couple of minutes to reflect on our own lives.
I'll read through the next verses. Therefore, because of this, says the Lord, I have begun to destroy you. This is verse 13. To ruin you because of your sins. You will eat, but not be satisfied. Your stomach will still be empty. You will store up, but save nothing. Because of what, because what you save, I will give to the sword. You will plant, but not harvest. You will press olives, but not use the oil. You will crush grapes, but not drink the wine. You have observed the statutes of Omri and all the practices of the house of Ahab. You have followed their traditions. Therefore, I will give you over to ruin and your people to derision. You will bear the scorn of the nations. And so the second reflection is, so just a small note here where it says in verse chapter 16, you have observed the statutes of Omri and all the practices of the house of Ahab. I think that that is capturing the twin problems of uh, Omri with idolatry, worshipping other gods, and Ahab, um, famous at least for injustice and the way that he dealt with Naboth, and in a way turning a blind eye to probably what he knew his wife was up to in having Naboth murdered unjustly and taking uh, his land. And that's perhaps what is being referenced there with Omri and Ahab. But looking at this, um, this second point of reflection is, in verse 11, you see there it's got, shall I acquit someone? verse 11, shall I acquit someone with dishonest scales? And so in verses 10 and 11, there's a kind of question here, which is inviting reflection by the people as to what type of a God they would be the right kind of God. What should the Lord be like? They are unjust their mouths speak lies and the Lord invites the question what should I do? What would be right? Should I should I just pass over these things? Would that be right? So it invites a question about the Lord and his justice. And what we see in verse 14 and 15 is the Lord's answer to his own question, as it were, when he tells them, no, I won't pass over it. I will keep my word, which I told you at Sinai 
which was if you do not obey these commands, you will be handed over to the curses. And so we see that the Lord is a, a just God. He, he doesn't just sweep the sins of Israel under the rug. And so we are confronted with, with a God who, who actually sent his people away. He, he gave them over to other nations who destroyed them. They were killed with a sword. Um, and in verse 15, I think it looks like the idea there is that they are oppressed. They're planting seeds, but they're not harvesting. And they're pressing olives, but they're not getting to use the oil. And they are crushing grapes, but not drinking the wine. And that may be because they are doing those things in the service of another. And so, yeah, we have here the Lord uh, saying, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going, I'm not that type of God who will acquit the dishonest scales. So another pause, we'll have a pause for reflection now. Um, and then Matthew will lead us in a couple of songs. But now let's just reflect on God in his justice. Perhaps asking that question for ourselves. Would we want a God who didn't bring justice? Who acquitted, who just simply didn't deal with dishonesty?
song, um, words taken from uh, the opening part of Romans 3 that speaks of uh, no one being righteous, no one seeking God. Um, of course, Romans 3 turns that to point us to the one in whom our hope lies, and the Lord Jesus, as does this song. So let's stand and sing. seat. A final reflection. The tension is somehow felt. The sinfulness of the people, the righteousness and the justice of the Lord. And yet we sing now, our only hope is you. And I've been reminded in this of the way the psalmist would recognise his own sin 
And there's that place of there are two ways to turn. I can either run from you or run to you. And it's a bit of a mystery to run to the very one whom we have wronged. But as we sang, there is actually no other refuge. We require the Lord to be merciful to us. We, our lives are in his hands. In some ways that can be a terrifying thing, but in some ways this can actually be the most freeing thing as well. We're going to quickly look at two verses. We're going to see the tension and we're going to see where the Lord brings it to release. So turn to Exodus chapter 34 and verse 7. That's Exodus 34 and verse 7. Now, if you remember, Exodus is the beginning of the formation of the people of Israel. And this revelation of the Lord uh, as to what he is like is a really key revelation in scripture that is awaiting its um, its the, the release of the tension and Exodus is at the beginning of the Bible and so this is a this is a big moment in the story so far now 34 verse 7 uh, sorry not verse 7 um, it's verse 5 to 7 and the context is um, Moses has gone up onto the mountain and he has asked that uh, this is in thir chapter 33 verse 18 Moses says now show me your glory and the Lord says I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name the Lord in your presence I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion but he said you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live then the Lord said there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock when my glory passes by I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by then I will remove my hand and you will see my back but my face must not be seen so Moses gets ready he goes up the mountain to meet with the Lord and then in chapter 34 verse 5 we see this then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name the Lord and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. 
you see there's a tension here does he forgive wickedness or do the guilty go punished and so it's a tension and it's a tension that we see here in Micah as well how is the Lord going to have a people who are perpetually sinful can he acquit them He's a just God. He carries out his word. And so that tension is there and we see it through scripture and the psalmists will um, yeah, reflect on that, that move to I don't know where to go but I have to go to God. You are my hope. You are the merciful and gracious and compassionate God. And so now turn to Romans chapter 3. And we'll start at verse 25. Chapter Romans 3 verse 25. It says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. And so this is where uh, one of the mysteries of the cross is that God upholds his justice while, on the, while in the same stroke justifies the ungodly and so the Lord makes a way for his wrath to pass over us and yet justice to be fulfilled and so in Micah chapter 6 there's this little phrase right at the end where he says to the Israelites you will bear the scorn of the nations. And this may be a right link or not, but give, we've been in Matthew lately, and I've just thought, as, as uh, I preached the sermon a, little, uh, a few weeks back on the reproach that fell on Jesus as the people walked by and they wagged their heads and Christ became a curse so that we might be delivered from the curse. And just seeing that link there between um, yeah, the, the curse that the Lord had promised was going to come upon the nation and seeing it come upon Jesus. So we're now going to sing a couple of songs in response to this as we 
marvel at both the Lord's goodness, his mercy, compassion, and his justice, and the way that he has made a way uh, for, for us to be saved through giving us Christ to bear the scorn uh, for us. Matthew. And we're going to sing two songs, one will hopefully be familiar to all of us. The first one, though, um, will be new uh, to all of us. Um, it's got three verses followed by three choruses. And so what I'm going to suggest is please stand and join in with the second verse. Um, and listen um, to the first verse. Thank you.
next song taken from Exodus 34, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has removed our transgressions from us. The wonder of the cross being that the Lord can be gracious to us and still be just.
Shall we just have a little moment of prayer? So, we'll just sit or stand and um, well, I think we'll have one more song than we, Matthew? No. no. Shall we just have a moment then, just a couple of prayers um, and then I'll close us in prayer to any of the themes that have come up um, tonight.
God that by the resurrection you have given us new life in Christ and that um, having been raised with him your design for us is that we might now walk in newness of life Spirit, we might walk in a way that's worthy of the gospel, worthy of the resurrected Christ. As we look forward to uh, the new creation, we think of Christ as the first fruits, think of Christ as the beginning of the new world. We look forward to that day when sin will be no more. When mm. weary bodies will give way to immortal bodies. We thank you for seasons and for springtime. That the springtime is, is like a confirming all around us this newness new life, a new season and helps us to imagine and look forward to that world. We pray, Father, that while we are still here that we might walk in a way that is visibly different and striking to those in East Oxford. We pray, God, that this year would be, um, you would bring salvation to East Oxford. Save people, we pray. Have mercy upon them because of your great love. We thank you for tonight. Pray that you'd be with us as we go to our homes and give you thanks for your word and for our time together. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.